because next week we start our relationship series. What? Anyways, we can't get there yet, but we're going to kind of go there. Um, but first off, if this is your first time here tonight, we are so glad that you are here. We definitely believe that um, it is not by mistake, it is not by coincidence that God has brought you here tonight to hear and to experience what he has for you. So I'm really glad you're here, and on behalf of all of us who uh, go here regularly, we're glad you're here. So Valentine's Day is a week away. Weird mixed feelings. I just heard all of the groans, some of the awkward moments. So uh, whether you have a date or not, that is okay. You don't need one. And if you have one, consider yourself lucky. I have a forever one. Her name is Nicole. That is my wife. Um, but I want to give you some tips on Valentine's Day, whether it's for your date or for your friends, because relationships matter whether they're romantic or platonic, right? It's all about giving and receiving love. And uh, there's a man who did a study on this, so a lot of you in this room probably know about the five love languages, right? Yeah, all that fun stuff. So um, if we can put up just a quick guide. So here they are. We have quality time, which means it's giving you your undivided attention to somebody. Uh, there, is, there are words of affirmation, which is like intentionally building somebody up with affirming them and encouraging them. There's acts of service, which is taking the time out to do something intentional that you know will benefit this person because it matters to them. There's receiving gifts, which is, again, giving in a way something tangible that you're saying, man, I made this, I thought of you for this, and whether it's food, whether it's um, just crafts, that, that's what gift giving is like. And then there is physical touch, meaning um, like this one's a little confusing because we live in a hypersexualized society, but physical touch is, is that moment of intentionally saying, hey, you matter to me and I'm going to show you in a physical manner. And that again doesn't have to be romantic all the time, right? Can I get it for the physical touch people? Long huds are okay as long as they're appropriate, right? So, uh, I kind of wanted to put this just in a little bit of a practical sense so you can see what it looks like in action. Applied to tacos, right? So if words of affirmation is yours, you'd say something like, man, Alex, you made these tacos and they are awesomely delicious, right? Acts of service, I made you tacos, receiving gifts, here's a taco. Quality time, let's go out for tacos together. And then physical touch, let me hold you like a taco. <laughs> And so you can't make those ones up, friends. And uh, so who here knows um, that they are a words of affirmation person? Anybody? Ooh, whoa, well, good for you. You guys are wonderful. And uh, who here is a receiving of gifts type of person? Anybody? That is okay. And then who here is an acts of service kind of person? Okay, few, good, I like it. Uh, who here is a physical touch person? Yay, hugs to all of you. And, uh, and then who here is quality time? Boop, that's me. Uh, so my top love language, and again, it doesn't mean that this is the only way you receive love. It just means this is a primary way that speaks to a deeper part of yourself of saying this is meaningful. Like quality time. Quality time is super meaningful to me because it's making the statement of saying I could be doing a lot of other things, but I actually want to just spend some time with you just because it's you. I just want to be with you. And so to me, that's communicating a type of 
a type of effort, a type of intentionality of sacrificing your own time because somebody else is worth it. And so that's why uh, quality time matters to me and probably matters to most of us, right? We all like to spend time with people. We all, we all like when people want to spend time with us, right? We're not like, oh, hey, you don't want to spend time with me? Well, let's do that next Tuesday. That's awkward. No one does that. Quality time is wonderful. And then the deeper you get with your relationships, you kind of get a little more relaxed, right? The first time you have somebody over, you're like, can I get you something to drink? I bought some extra snacks. My house is wonderfully clean. My dorm's wonderfully clean, right? And then after like a couple months, you're like, you ate all my food. <laughs> like, I don't have anything left. Uh, you know, that's what that, you're like wearing sweatpants, sitting there on your phone, scrolling, and you're like, <laughs> look at this one. <laughs> you know, and then you go back to scrolling, right? Friendships turn into that, mainly because at the end of the day, it's communicating. You just want to be with each other. Right? You want to have shared experience, shared life with each other, because spending time together makes a difference. And so, as, this, like as we go into this, it's more about spending time together than what you do, because we love the people who we surround ourselves with. Those are the people who are important. And um, so kind of Bree talked about it last week, and I want to follow through with it. Of we, we had this moment last week, if you weren't here, Bree talked about how Jesus is the door. Right? And we step in, we drop our baggage, and, and we, we come to him with a full, warm, uh, welcoming embrace. Right, And so now, we all did that last week. We walked through this rickety door, and uh, we stood up here, and we were like, man, we're in the presence of God. you know, Because that's the equivalence of what we're saying. When you walk into the door, in, in through Jesus, you're now in a relationship with God. It's like walking into his house, like his mansion, his home. And now what? Like, God's invited you in, and you're like, now what do I do? It's just me and God. Now what? And he's like, take a seat. And you're like, uh, I've never done this before. Like, angels are serving you and stuff. No. Um, you have this moment where you're like, well, what do I do now in my, my faith? What do I do now in my relationship with God that I've taken this step, that I've had this interaction with God? And... Uh, I guess it comes back to someone of my last sermon that I preached. If you were here, I preached on Emmanuel, which means God with us. And this week, we are talking about us with God. Boom. That is copyrighted from my wife herself as I was writing this. She was like, what if you said this? And I was like, that is actually exactly what needs to be said. But... Again, we're talking about what does our life look like, right? God is with us. He's ministering to us since the day before we're born, right, of saying, I want to be in relationship with you, and I want to love you and pour out everything that I have for you, right? And, and now there's a response. Like in every relationship, that it, it's reciprocal. There's a reciprocal response of, okay, well, now what does it mean for me to spend quality time with God, you know? And uh, we begin to see that just... Our relationship with God isn't just visiting him, right? It's not like we step into his house. We're like, hey, thanks for hosting me. I'll see you later when I need you, right? But it's this practice of saying, no, God is actually with me. And now I am with God 24-7 because he's omnipotent. He's omnipresent. Omnipresent meaning God is everywhere. God is with me. And so now it's saying I'm in constant communion with him. 
And now I share deep experiences because I've invited God into my past and into my present and into my future. I've invited him into my emotions and my dreams and my fears. God is with all of those things. Now what? And this is kind of where Jesus starts to unpack what does it look like to spend time with me? What does it look like to have a relationship with me? And uh, he does this in John 15. And so, to catch you all up of what's happening right now in the scene of John 15, he is T-minus 24 hours from being arrested and slaughtered. So he's with his disciples. Literally the next day he's going to, or like hours after that, he's going to get arrested. But before this, he's sharing the last I am statement that he shares. So we're on the seventh one now. Saves the best for last. I mean, that's what I'd like to say. But he really saved this one for a reason. And so when we start zooming in to see uh, why Jesus said this, we recognize that there's something that he reiterated 10 times in this short explanation of his I am statement, and it's the word abide. And so as we read John 15 up on the screen, it's going to be group participation. I will read, and then when I get to the word abide, I'm going to have y'all say abide, okay? So let's practice. Oh, wait, I can't practice. Okay, so John 15, Jesus is talking to his disciples. It's not like a massive group. He's talking to his 12 people that he spent three and a half years with at this point, and he's sharing basically the last message that he wants them to grasp. And he says, I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. In me, and I in you, as a branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it in the vine. Neither can you unless you in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. Whoever in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. From apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you in me, my word in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. In my love. If you keep my commandments, you will. In my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments and. In his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Wow, abide. <laughs> That's a new amen, am I right? Can I just get an abide? <laughs> um, <laughs> now, again, if you haven't read much of Scripture before, that's okay. Let's do it. We're doing it right now. But I will give you a pro tip. When you're reading stuff from Jesus and he reiterates something, you're like, oh, this must be important. Because it is, right? Jesus emphasizes the word abide ten times in this little passage for a reason. And... Uh, if you've been here with Chi Alpha uh, 
you, you know that we really emphasize what we call abiding time, which means spending time with Jesus. And what does it really mean, though? It sounds kind of lofty. It sounds kind of nice. But then when you sit down with just you and your Bible and nobody sitting on the other side of the coffee table, you're like, well, what do I do now? Right? But we have to first understand what the term abide means so we know how to do it. Right? And so to save all of you guys the research efforts, I did it. And so I went into the Greek, and I am a scholar. I spent years. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, but I did go back, and it is this word that looks like the word minnow. Minnows. So the word minnow means to stay. It means um, to stay in a given place or to stay in a state of being or to dwell with somebody. Ooh. And with this word, there's uh, this sense, as, as reading the context of what this word meant in the Greek, it, there's a sense of endurance, the sense of uh, continuance or, or a tarrying in, in waiting and expectancy over time. And so uh, Dick Brogdon, who is a missionary church planner among unreached people groups throughout the world, woot to Dick Brogdon, he is awesome. Him and his wife, Jen Brogdon, are incredible And uh, anyways, he writes about abiding, and he says that John uses this word minnow to express a reciprocal indwelling. So it's it's this cycle of we are in Jesus, and Jesus is in us, right? We linger in Jesus, and Jesus lingers in us. We live in him, and he lives in us. He's the source of life. And so with this interaction, we have this constant Uh, union with him, right, and amongst that we also have special moments that we experience like during worship, right, or during prayer time, these special moments with interactions uh, that we get to see Jesus in our lives, because it's both a journey and a destination, that's what abiding is, so our relationship with God was meant to be reciprocal, and this is actually where we see that you are fulfilling your God-given purpose, is to spend extravagant time with him that's concentrated, meaning like that it's focused in on just looking on who Jesus is and who God is and admiring him, and then going all day knowing that your, your spirit man, that, that your soul is being ministered to because the Holy Spirit lives in you and because the Holy Spirit is doing such good work that you know you have these moments where you're like, man, God is here. God is with me. God is standing beside me. He is in me. He is ministering to me even when I don't even know, right? Because God is just that powerful. Because we think, though, that it's this it becomes like this strain or this effort, right? I've been like practicing this for quite a few years, like three years, which is a lot for me, four years. And abiding can be a lot of stress, right? Who here has slept through their abiding time when they try to wake up in the morning and they hit snooze or they pull out their Bible on their bed and they're like, I'm gonna read and pray on my butt, you know, and then you pass back out, you're like, I'm late for my class, right? Abiding time can be laying in bed at night. That's what I did at night. I'm like, man, I'm going to lay in my bed at night. I'm going to, you know, and I'm out. It's so easy for me. I'll be praying and it's done, you know, which is a good testament that I can fall asleep and rest in the presence of God, but can't do that every time, right? That'd be awkward if you met for breakfast every single morning with your friend and passed out on them. (laughs) I would take you to the hospital after like the third day. Be like, something needs checked out. But 
Anyways, abiding time, you can feel this like stress. You feel this strain. You're like, well, am I doing it right? Am I reading enough scripture? Am I praying enough? Am I journaling? Am I going deep enough? Am I getting challenged? Am I, am I feeling like things are changing in my life, right? We feel uh, this, this like moment where we're like, well, if I'm with God, I have to be doing something, right? When we forget that, we, that when Jesus says abide in me, all these verbs that he describes are very not active. They're not like doing. They're being. It's staying. It's dwelling. These things that are restful, these restful words. Because it really means that we're finding rest from the one in whom our soul has finally found a place to abide in. We found the house when you just go home and you throw down all your stuff and you fall on the couch and you're like, man, right? That's what it's supposed to be like in the presence of God. You know, you don't go over to that house that you're imagining, whether it's your friends or your families, your grandparents, your, your parents. You don't go home and throw everything down and then start cleaning the house, right? Unless your parents tell you, and then you kind of have to, right? No, you throw your stuff down, you sit on the couch, and you're like, man, I can veg for a little bit, right? That's the presence of God meaning we're meant to rest. We're meant to be able to know that we can come to the feet of Jesus and just be. And so we remember that Christ says, abide in me, right? That he is the vine who brings forth, that he holds us, that he's the one strengthening us through this time. He's the one making us fruitful, abiding, resting, letting him do the work in us because he says, I am the true vine, I am the one who provides the nourishment in the fruit. I am the one who speaks to your heart and changes it. I am the divine truth. I am the constant. When you give yourself to me, that I can do all the work that you can't do on your own. And right, that's the beauty of the gospel that we see here in John 15. We see that in this context, this meant so much more than what we are trying to grasp right now. Because... Like, this image of a vine is totally common for Jewish history, but it has a negative light to it. All throughout the Old Testament, we read that when the, when the image of a vine is used, it's usually not a, an exciting thing. It's usually when Israel kind of sucked at following God, is basically the easiest way to describe it. It's when God was like, hey, you've been sucking at loving me. You know, and then God's kind of like, now what? You've been following other gods, you've been worshiping other people. You've been fulfilling all your pleasures. You produce no fruit, but I chose you to share my love with the nations, and you've kept it to yourself and been abandoned it, right? And so all this imagery is always kind of based around this like moment of judgment of like God being like, hey, you're not doing what I'm asking you to be, right? And so when Jesus says, I am the true vine, he takes this and flips it on its head and makes it positive, right? Because in this moment, he's saying, you're right. You can't do what you can't do. You've tried for centuries, and we've seen it. You just can't be fruitful on your own. But that's why I'm the true vine. The old vine was Israel, is the other people, all these people who just produced worthless, uh, worthless fruit, meaning like it just wasn't anything, but he says, I am the true vine. I am the one who, will, who is able to nourish you and do and produce fruit of what you can't do. I just, I love this image of rescuing. 
like rescuing us, saying, I know you can't do it. I know you can't be a good person. I know you can't make it every single day without doing something that is harming people around you or yourself. God knows that. That's what failure feels like, right? We stand there every day and you're like, man, I suck as a person again, right? I just yelled at this person. I just kicked my dog and bruised my foot. Um, you know, that didn't really happen. Well, it kind of did, but it's complicated context. <laughs> I like swung my foot and it hit a bone and now my foot's bruised and I'm like, well, I deserve that. I didn't mean to kick him. But anyways, right? There are these moments where you're like, I just suck as a human today, right? You guys are shocked. Like I just killed somebody. Like you guys, we all do stuff. And so I'm just trying to be real here. And all of you guys are like, <laughs> um, Right, though, we've all fallen short. That's what scripture says. We've fallen short of the glory of God, meaning we are not perfect. It means we've missed the mark. It means that we've done a lot of things in our lives that even though we try to cover up by saying, I'm better than my neighbor, it's like, okay, so you're less of a moron than the moron standing next to you? Is that making you feel better? <laughs> you know? But no, what Jesus is trying to say is, I know that you've missed it. I know that you can't keep up perfection because you're not perfect. But you know who can? Jesus is saying this, I can, right? So that's why he's saying, I am actually the true vine. I am the one who is going to clean up this mess, and I am the one who is the type of fruitfulness that pleases the Lord. And when you're in me, it pleases the Lord because now you're producing the right fruit. Now you're producing the fruit you couldn't do on your own. And you just get to rest and you get to be in me, right? It's exciting stuff, yeah. So, so God is a gardener. We read that, right? The vine dresser, fancy word. Gardener, and then Jesus is the vine, and then he says we are the branches. And so he kind of lays out three different types of branches, which sometimes can easily be missed, um, one of them. But before I get into these three types, I want to explain the purpose um, of Christianity, the purpose of us being branches, this is, this is super critical, because if we don't know the why, none of the rest of this will make sense. But Jesus explains that our purpose is to produce fruit, and when he uses the term fruit, he's talking about disciples, which that fancy Christian word just means you are supposed to teach people and tell people about your faith, so then they will also teach people about their faith, and then in turn, show them Jesus. That's what it means to make disciples. It means that you're so madly in love with Jesus that you can't help but share it with anybody that comes across your path because you know the life that it's brought you, and you know the death that's on other people. You know the death that they're walking in. You know the hardship in the falling short constantly of what they struggle with, that internal battle of I'm just not enough, or I'm a failure, or I just, I'm not loved because of what my past is, right? There's these people who everybody's walking around. I mean, we're sitting here tonight experiencing those thoughts, right? But Jesus is like, enough of that. Enough of that. I am enough, Jesus is saying that. I am enough. And that, that's where we begin to see that when we spend time with Jesus, he produces that fruit through us because of our relationship with him. And in turn, of course, we will share it with those around us because it's the greatest love you'll ever find. And so I am going to get into the first branch we see that there are three types. You're either pulled up, pruned, or perishing. Those are the three branches that Jesus talks about. And so the first one, this term pulled up, actually 
isn't in the scripture we read, right? But again, did some more Greek research, all that fun jazz, and there is this word that's called arrow, kind of like a bow and arrow. And this is commonly translated, as we see in different verses, as like a removal or being taken away, right? Which sounds like they're getting cut off, but that doesn't make sense because Jesus is saying these people are in him. And Jesus' plan for everybody isn't to cut them off of him, no, right? But we see that there's actually this type of, pran- type of branch that God is actually, oh, excuse me, that he's raising up. Because that's what the, the actual word arrow means, to raise up, to pull up, right, to lift. So if you have this image of a vine, you can see that some of them are touching the ground, right? If you've ever seen a vineyard, right, there's this cord, there's this massive branch that comes up, and then it spreads out into a bunch of branches, right? And they touch the ground when they're not pruned, and they get wild and mangly. And we see that, um, that some of them touch the ground. And you're like, why would they need to be pulled up, though? They're just chilling on the ground. Good question. I asked that, too, so I figured it out. And so we see that sometimes when the branches are touching the ground, that they end up getting mushed into the mud after so much rain and, and um, the earth being the earth, that it ends up killing it because it's getting mushed in there and it's in mud and it's in muck. Um, sometimes that they're just too weak and they need to be lifted up so they can be strengthened again. Uh, sometimes they're not getting enough light. And so they need to be pulled up so they can receive more light to be strengthened. And sometimes it's just weather that knocks them down and pushes them under. And uh, they need also to be tied up, pulled up, um, so they can gain strength and health again. And so these examples suggest that the branches that Jesus is talking about when he says, um, those, are, those are some who are in me that are getting pulled up. This means that uh, there's an intention the intention that Jesus isn't like, oh, you're done. You're not doing what I need you to do. You're done. No, 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 no. He says, here, let me come take care of you because I see that you're down here. You're low, that you're broken, that you're, that you're just burnt out. I see this. So let me pull you up. And he takes us with his gentle hand and he ties us up to where we need to be to receive the light. He's positioning us in this place where we can gain life from the vine again, right? And so I'm going to go out on a limb. And uh, I'm going to guess that all of us um, who have walked with Jesus, meaning like who believe and profess Jesus, have experienced this before and probably more than once, right? And we've had moments where things just come through our life like a storm and just throw us down to the ground and then it just feels like life's just trampling all over us. Right? We feel like we're dying. We feel like we're just torn up. These moments where you just feel so weak. You're like, man, I'm not even doing anything for Jesus. And I know I need to be telling people about Jesus, but I'm just so beat within myself. I'm so empty. I'm so weak. Right? These are rough times. It's in, it's in the moments where, where physical things happen in the physical realm that affect you spiritually like losing somebody, like not having enough money to come back to school, right? Like being, seeing that your grades are so bad. Like real things turn into this spiritual ripple effect where you just fall to the ground. You're like, man, I'm just, 
I'm just run over now. I'm just I'm tired. And uh, as I was doing this, God reminded me of like the last time I was there. I didn't even ask him. He just threw it at me. And I was like, okay, because God's cool like that. And so um, the last time that happened to me, actually, I did my internship here with Chi Alpha, my first year CMIT internship, which was an awesome opportunity. And then God was like, I want you to go down to West Virginia, three hours south to Fairmont State University. And I want you to do the internship there. And I was like, this is weird. And I don't know anything or anybody here. But I went. And this is where God told me this was the season I needed to be pulled up again. And I was like, oh, you're right, Jesus. Because I was just operating on fumes. I was operating on arrogance. I was operating on this concept of I have everything set up out here that people don't think anything's going wrong in here. But really, I am just running over myself, and I'm just in the mud, and I have no light, and, and I'm just down. I didn't even know how to ask for help for that. But Jesus knew the exact time and the exact way to do it, which looked weird from the outside, right? He sent me three hours away, but in that year, God pulled me up, and he made me realize that I had been missing a lot of stuff about him that messed with me because I was completely lacking, right, the light. I was lacking so much of God that I thought I already had because I was blinded by my arrogance and my ministry. But I wasn't producing disciples. That's what we talked about, right? I was the branch that wasn't producing disciples, so Jesus pulled me up so kindly, so lovingly, and said, here, I'm going to give you a year. And I want you to learn from me, to learn and to look at my face and fall in love with me again so I can send you back out to go make disciples, right? And it was just incredible because I came back, and again, now looking at all this, God's like piecing it all together. But I came back and so rejuvenated because I understood now. I was like, man, that's the year I, pra- I started practicing abiding time. That was the time when I sat down and read this old book that's called Abiding in Christ by Andrew Murray, I sat down and I was like, whoa, this is what it's supposed to be like with Jesus? I just sit here and I read and I just receive, I receive Jesus? This is what it is? Like, this is incredible, right? That, that's what got me to this point of this, this branch of, of being the branch that is now strong enough to start producing fruit, to start, again, the ministry of discipling, telling people about Jesus, teaching people about Jesus, and showing them the love of who he is. Because we're, we're reminded that, that God is saying, hey, you're hurting yourself, you're destroying yourself, but I care way too much about you to let you die getting trampled over. And so God always pulls each and, one of, each and every one of us up. Because God cares. He will never let you get trampled on to death. And so the second branch Jesus addresses, again, is the ones who are making disciples. This is the one who is disciplined, right? And now they are allowed to pass through difficulty and suffering. Man, three cheers for that, right? Um, Suffering. Woo. But this branch has the honor and the privilege of getting pruned, right? Pruned is kind of an aggressive word because we know it means what? We're, We're cutting off branches. We're cutting off excess branches, right? But to put this into modern light, who here did sports? Who here did sports in high school or still does sports here in college? A decent amount. I'm impressed. Not me. This was my example hand, not my real hand. Um... 
So whatever sport you were in, you had a coach probably, right? Yes. And so you went through this process of your coach training you. So when you stepped on the mat, when you got into the, on the field, when you um, got on base, you were ready, right? But it took a lot of discipline and it took a lot of sacrifice to get you there to win, right? Whether it was a team sport or an individual sport, it took you losing weight, it took you gaining muscle, it took you sac sacrificing hours, hours out of your time because you knew the prize and the goal that was ahead of you. You knew what was coming. But the cool part is your coach knew even more what was coming and could push you farther than what you could ever push yourself, right? You see where I'm going with this? And that's the beauty of pruning. It's the moment when the scripture says like, God disciplines, meaning like God corrects those in whom he loves. God starts to train and coach those who he loves. And those are these moments where, where God says, okay. I mean, some of those, some of you who aren't sports people like me, it was like my music instructor who pushed me. Maybe it's a teacher that pushed you, but someone saw something more in you that they knew if you were disciplined and they helped train you that you could get there, right? And so God is the same way. He's training us to share our faith with those so they can share their faith. We say we are disciple makers who make disciple makers who make disciple makers who make disciple makers who make disciple makers, right? That's what we do. We share Jesus so Jesus is shared because that's what matters most to us and that's what matters most to God is that people are reunited with him because God wants us to be a part of the greatest redemption story in the cosmic history. Like, this is the greatest redemption story that you will ever be a part of, and you are invited. You have the privilege of being a part of that and sharing in it. But it doesn't feel like a privilege during the process, right? It's painful. It hurts. It sucks. You're like, I'm done with this. But you know. You know because you see the prize. You have the vision. You see why we're doing it. And so God knows what isn't worth having. And now you come into a season of saying, of God asking, do you trust me? Do you trust me with cutting this branch off? Do you trust me with cutting this one off of your life? Because God sees so much further, so he can see if a relationship down the line is going to pull you away from him and, and, and take you to dark places. God's going to want to cut that off way before it takes you there. But do you trust him when it still looks fine? Right? Do you trust God when you're going down this career path and you're like, this is where I'm going and I have my dots laid down on the floor and I have my A's and B's and C's lined up and God's like, that's actually not going to take you to a good place. Let me take you somewhere better. All of these questions come into, do you trust God to prune you in the way that he sees possible even when it doesn't make sense in the moment? These are the moments that really hurt because you're like super confused. You're like, why, God? Why did you do this? Right? We all ask that question. Because it's really asking, God, I don't know if I trust you for you to take this out of my life, for you to cut this out. When God's like, no, 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 just wait. A harvest is coming. And this was necessary for your growth to be stronger and better than ever before. This is an honorable and loving process of being pruned. And Jesus says right at the end, this is why he's saying it, because it's going to give you full joy. It's going to give you a joy that fills you like nothing else. And so then we get to the third branch. Uh, the third branch is the disciple who doesn't lavish 
time on Jesus, time and love on who Jesus is. It's a branch that chooses to cut itself off of the source, of its life source. It's the one that is perishing, falling away. This is the person who isn't abiding, and so as they fall, they become dried and withered because they're not gaining the nutrients and the source of life that they need. And so they're now stiffer, they're now more rigid, they're, 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 they're harder, and um, it, it's harder for them uh, it's harder for them to abide because, again, it's a cyclical cycle of I'm not abiding, so I'm, so I'm, I'm losing life, and I'm losing life, so I don't want to abide. And then it continues to go in this cycle. But this is why it's so difficult is because we're never, we're never forced to spend time with Jesus, right? How many here has, have a, like, are you in a forced relationship? If not, let's talk, or if you are, let's talk. But nobody ever gets into a forced relationship, right? You're never forced, other than family gatherings, to spend time with people, right? (laughs) But nobody has a real deep relationship with someone they feel forced with. And it's the same thing with Jesus. He wants you to be with him because he wants to be with you so badly. And it's the same thing. And so those of you who are here tonight that feel like you're perishing and that you're kind of shriveled up, um, there's still hope there's still hope for you, right? When you feel dry and dead, when you, when you recognize this moment where you're like, I'm, I'm, I'm living, but I'm not living. I'm not thriving. I, I don't think I'm fulfilling the greater purpose that I was created to be. And that's true. That's because you feel the longing that God's tugging in your heart to say there's more to your life than just running through the motions of paying bills and having babies and, and then dying. Right? There's so much more. And those things are wonderful, but that's not the focus that we see here when Jesus is saying, I am the vine. He's saying, I have life that is so much bigger because I have purpose that is so much bigger than what you'll experience just running through the motions apart from me. And so the hope is that you can still come to God and ask for forgiveness. You can still come to God and say, renew my heart and, and bring um, just a fresh wind of your breath over me. Take care of me and pick me back up, please. Right? There's this moment of God wants you to produce fruit. God wants you to be in relationship with him. And so God desires you to be connected. And he desires for you to be with him. And so the band can come up at this point. Mm-hmm. Abiding is a choice and it's a lifestyle. Again, Jesus is the true vine. And we don't do this for ourselves, right? We don't do this for our gain. We do this because relationship, because it's symbiotic, because we love Jesus for what he's done for us. And so we're going to give back everything we have. But through our walk with God, we are one of these three. We're either being pulled up, we're being pruned, or perishing. Pulled up, pruned, perishing. Pulled up, pruned, perishing. And they're cycles. Ideally, not the perishing. The cycle of being pulled up and being pruned, producing fruit producing fruit, telling people about Jesus who love Jesus, who tell other people about Jesus. And I, like I said before, I think Jesus saved this statement last because it is the full mission and purpose for each and every one of us. Jesus did what we could not do 
to produce in us what we could never do on our own. And he just asks, be with me. I'm the source of life, just be with me. And I'm with you, because I'm already with you, be with me. And so it's making that choice. It's, it's that one small decision that's going to make God more of a priority. That one decision of, okay, I'm going to go to bed at least 20 minutes earlier so I can wake up 20 minutes earlier so I can spend time with Jesus. Right? It's, it's the one decision of saying, okay, um, you know what? I'm going to listen to some encouraging music today. I'm actually going to choose some worship music. I'm going to choose just some upbeat Jesus music that is speaking real life into me and reminding me of who I am and who God is. I'm going to listen to that today, right? Maybe making the one choice of saying, I'm going to keep going to life group because this is my purpose is to share life with those around me. So I'm, I know I have a lot of homework. I know I have a lot of stuff to do, but I'm just, I'm going to make it a priority again this week. It's one decision at a time. I was just saying, Jesus, I love you. And I, want, I just want to be with you. So I'm going to do what it takes in every opportunity to just be with you, whether it's praying, gathering together, right, reading your Bible. Because this is the Christian faith. Love God, love others. That's what we do. And so now we get to practice the love language of quality time and being with God and really spending intentional one-on-one time with him. And so as we go into these next song, like these next few songs, really spend time and, and just ask God, where, where do you have me? Where do you have me right now? Pray through contentment of if you're there, that's okay. If you're in the pulled up state, swallow your pride and be comfortable with knowing that Jesus cares about you way too much to let you just get trampled on and get killed. But being pulled up is one of the most sweet and honorable moments of reminding yourself Jesus cares so much for me that he'd pull me up so I can remind my, be reminded of, of what relationship, why I'm here, right? In the moment of discipleship where you're getting pruned and you're like, oh, this sucks and I, I hate this. I hate that it feels like Jesus is taking things away from me when he's really helping you. Right, But finding contentment and knowing that God loves you way too much to leave you where you're at. Because there's so much more for you to do that you can't get to with what you're carrying right now. Right? And then, especially for perishing, to process the time that you are here tonight for a reason. Because God loves you way too much to let you wither and fall off and get carried up like the brush pile that we always have in our yard. There's like a massive windstorm. All these dead branches fall, and we gather them together and we burn them. Right? That's what you do. You're not going to try to stick them back on the tree. They're dead. But you're not there yet. You still have time to say, Jesus, please come be the center of my life. I love you, and teach me how to love you greater. Teach me how to love you deeper. Teach me how to just be in your presence and not do, but just be satisfied with who you are. Because this is like the rest of your life, is, is saying, I can receive all of Jesus because he's made a way. Because I'm just connected. I'm connected to him. So I can experience what it says in John 10.10, 10, when he says, it's an abundant life that he has to give, right? Because Jesus is the true vine, the true source of life. And so um, if you can stand with me and bow your heads, I'm going to pray. Um, God, we just thank you so much for, your, for 
being the, the wonderful gardener who knows how to take care of us. We thank you for providing the branch, or the vine, God. We thank you for providing the true vine, Jesus, to, to connect us to, to graft us into. God, that we may, in turn, as we, as we spend time with you, that we will end up sharing this love and this truth with those around us. So God, help us to be content with where you have us right now. But God, help us to continue to press forward and find that there is hope because God, you have more for us, that you have a plan and you have a mission for us. And that's to be in relationship with you and to have other people understand that they can be in relationship with you. How beautiful, how freeing, how healing it is to be with you, Jesus. So I just pray over this time of worship. God, that you can center us on you, that you can fix our wandering eyes, our wandering gaze onto just the beauty of who you are. And God, that we can see ourselves through your eyes, God, as you see us. So we love you. We thank you. Create, create in us a new heart, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen.